Whether you have a general interest in health and wellness, or you are already a medical professional, we're here to provide you with tools and resources to make informed decisions about your health. This is House Call, part of Hackensack Meridian Health's award-winning podcast. Here, our expert providers will provide you with wellness tips, information, and general health advice. Thank you for listening. The internet is constantly crazed with memes, GIFs, trends, and challenges. Some of these challenges, though, pose a serious health threat. And there's one gaining popularity right now that is landing kids in some serious trouble. I brought in Dr. Christine Grice, director of the concussion program at JFK Johnson Rehabilitation Institute, to discuss this new trend. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. Now, before we kind of dive into what's going on, let's talk about some fun trends. So can you recall off the top of your head a trend or a challenge that you had particular interest or you maybe even partaked in yourself? So um, I really love the Harlem Shake. Um, It was definitely one of those cool, uh, fun dances back in 2013. Um, I also love the ALS uh, Ice Bucket Challenge. It was really for a good cause. Um, There was a lot of people uh, participating, and it really was nice kind of seeing all different types of groups, ages, um, different types of communities and populations just kind of coming together for a good cause. Um, You know, those were all, uh, you know, different uh, challenges that harbored good positive energy. I know, particularly for me, I loved the mannequin challenge. Do you remember the one where everybody would just stand still while somebody kind of loomed around them? Yes. And then I also just... <laughs> that for was some, awesome. Yeah, and I, for some reason, I just loved the planking challenge because it was so silly, but it, people were planking on stone stoops. It was just so out there. But okay, so now let's kind of change gears and go into what really the topic of conversation is today. Let's talk about the Skull Breaker Challenge. So are you familiar with this? Yes. Um, so this is a challenge. Um, it's very popular on a social media platform. Uh, platform called TikTok. Um, a lot of uh, teens, uh, young, you know, young individuals are using it um, these days and are very active on it. Um, it's interesting to see that even um, kids as young as like 10, 11 year olds are, are um, you know, really on this uh, platform and very active. And this challenge uh, pretty much involves uh, three individuals, um, two of which are kind of in on uh, the challenge. And the third is really just kind of a vulnerable, um, insusceptible person, uh, you know, group of the friends. They stand next to each other um, while they're supposedly all three of them jump. But in reality, only two jump. And then the middle person um, is kind of, uh, you know, loses balance because the other two, uh, you know, kick their uh, legs, causing their legs to kind of fly in, in midair. And then they land on their skull. And when they land, on their skull um the the point is to obviously break the uh, skull hence the skull breaker challenge um obviously though this is a detriment um to their cognitive recovery to their function um and it is a problem do we as humans kind of have that defense mechanism embedded in us to naturally put our hands down or kind of break that fall Absolutely. So um, if you were to even try to um, watch um, as humans when we develop, um, you know, we can watch even infants um, and babies as they're trying to learn to crawl um, or stand. They automatically stretch out their hands um, when they are faced with an uneven surface um, and or they're about to fall just to break their fall, um, to break those forces that are transmitted, um, you know, through the skull and into the brain. And unfortunately, during this challenge, you kind of uh, lose that. 
um, there is no way for you to break your fall um, because the person tends to actually hit legs are flying in the air and then they fall back on their skull hitting the back of their you're head. losing all balance coordination and Correct. there's just no time to really to react Absolutely. that's Absolutely. crazy yeah so this can lead to a concussion or even a more serious brain injury is that correct correct so um, it will lead to um, concussive symptoms um, you know the brain will rattle inside the skull um, particularly with the mechanism of the injury where um, you can't even have your neck muscles brace themselves um, as they would in a whiplash injury or wow. car accident during this challenge your neck muscles won't even tighten enough strong enough to absorb some of that shock so it really all goes through the brain and the head and um, what happens is inside the brain rattles or um, kind of oscillates a little bit inside the skull um, and then that also can cause the concussive symptoms and so it may lead to even a more severe concussion or on the spectrum of traumatic brain injury. Recent news articles have showed, and there's actually a case in New Jersey where uh, a teen suffered a concussion and was hospitalized for quite some time. What, what are some of the initial symptoms of a concussion? First, uh, usually the, it could be loss of consciousness. Um, you know, back in the day, we used to think that um, the only time you sustained a concussion was if you lose consciousness, but that's not the case. A uh, pe- person does not necessarily have to lose consciousness to have sustained a concussion. Um, some of the symptoms include fatigue, disorientation, feeling dazed or confused, um, you know, within minutes, seconds, not being able to account for each second, even if they were awake. So even if they didn't lose consciousness, but then they look back at that day or that moment, they really can't account for every conversation they had immediately after or even an hour or two later. Um, And then inability to be able to read or tolerate noises, um, visual stimuli, um, conversation, they'll fatigue quickly. Um, You know, obviously excruciating headaches that just don't go away, sometimes excessive sleep or no sleep. So their sleep uh, function and their sleep patterns are really disorganized and Mm -hmm. they're off. Um, And then inability to focus and concentrate in school. Um, You know, and then obviously also erratic behavior, irritability, um, you know, kind of short fuse, short temper, um, outside of the norm of the teenage world and population. Mm -hmm. You know, we all have our our norms, but um, this is kind of, uh, you know, unusual behavior. So those are those are ways that we can know that a person sustained a concussion. And how long can these symptoms last? I mean, hours to days, sometimes even weeks, months. um, If the the symptoms are severe enough um, and the brain injury was severe enough, you're looking at one to two years. And so you're saying some of these symptoms or side effects, they can really last short term or even sometimes long term. Can they even get to the state where they're irreversible? If the damage was strong enough, um, what happens is some of it can be irreversible. Um, Like, for instance, um, there was another case where uh, the person had sustained a bleed in the brain um, and then that caused... From the Skullbreaker Challenge? From the Skullbreaker Challenge. And um, they, I I think, I'm sure they're they're probably at least a month out right now um, and still suffering attentional issues, um, you know, problems maintaining uh, attention and memory and focus and concentration in school um, and then unable to even... uh, do little things like such as coordination and planning out their day and multitasking so they're only able to do one thing at a time Um, and that's a that's a bigger problem we see some of these residual deficits in other forms of injury where the skull is broken on besides the skull breaker challenge um, where patients are actually having trouble um, you know kind of recovering and it'll be a year two years out and they'll still have some issues what is kind of the treatment like for somebody who has had a concussion and also is it true sorry to kind of go off topic but I was told if 
you have a concussion, you absolutely cannot fall asleep. So is that is that true? And why is that? So back in the day, we used to um, think that because we would know if the concussion led to um, a bleed in the brain or something a lot more serious or deleterious. Remember, the brain is kind of um, in, enclosed in this um, hard shell called the skull. Um, and obviously what happens is um, if there is any swelling, just like if we hit, were to you know hit our arm or hurt our leg, it would swell. Or if we hit our knee, it would swell. We have space because the skin stretches. In the brain, there's no space. And so if there is a lot of brain swelling or bleeding, um, it can be detrimental. Um, and they may not be able to even wake up and we wouldn't be able to catch it soon enough. And so we used to tell patients, you know what, just don't, don't go to sleep because if something happens, I need to know and monitor you neurologically. Now, you know, we have other symptoms and we tell the patients, okay, just rest. Sometimes we'll even do an initial CAT scan in the, um, in the emergency room just to make sure that there isn't no bleeding, uh, signs of contusion or anything like that. Um, but it doesn't mean that we don't monitor that person neurologically, which means uh, making sure that they're still oriented to person, to, to their place, to their time. You know, they know who uh, the current events, they know what happened. In athletes, we ask them, you know, what was, who were you playing against? Um, you know, what was the last uh, quarter? You know, what's the score like? All of these things we have to ask them just to make sure that they're still attentive and able to account for each minute. Um, if anything is off, then obviously that would trigger a person to go get a CAT scan immediately, even later even if it's a day or two later, just to say, hey, you know what, is there a delayed bleed that we're not picking up? And then to answer your first question about what the treatments are, it all depends obviously on the symptomatology. Um, and so obviously they're going to, they may have uh, headaches. Obviously the first is, um, balance and visual problems so poor coordination they're going to be bumping into things uh they will their depth perception will be off uh you know some patients will say you know i'm stopping too soon um in front of the car you know um or i kind of hit you know stub my toe constantly because i don't think that that object is close enough um and so mm -hmm. their calculation of distances is inaccurate um and then obviously visually they'll have trouble looking at their phones um you know we know teens are constantly on their phones all day long you know yeah. um and they They'll have trouble even scrolling up or down more so than side to side. Um, and that's actually another um, muscle of the eye that's used that fatigues quickly after a concussion. And so they'll say, I just can't even tolerate looking at social media. Um, and wow, we'll be able that's to a shocker, read. right? Yeah, <laughs> surprisingly, right? Um, you know, they'll say the, those two things. And then so from a visual standpoint, then they'll have trouble with the cognition, you know, inattention, planning out their day, uh, speaking in full accurate sentences. They'll have trouble finding words when they could have been good at vocabulary before. Mm. Simple math gives them problems and gives them headaches and causes other symptoms they could either sleep too much sleep too little so treatments include obviously therapy um you know therapy that's focused on these specific issues um and in some cases rest and heal sleep is the best medicine and so we do encourage them to rest and sleep we now recommend more so relative rest so we don't tell them go in a dark room and stay for like about three days um don't be a hermit because we don't want to get them into that situation um you know long term so we just tell them relative rest so whatever m amount of energy you used to exert do about maybe 50% of that. Um, you know, stay home for a little bit. If you're going to be on the screen, just limit it to about 10, 15 minutes. Come off of it, you know. I always tell my patients kind of use your judgment. Um, hmm. But long-term uh, treatment is very different um, because then we're dealing with a lot more issues. Um, and then they, they involve a lot of neurobehavioral sequelae, emotional liability, irrit irritability, anxiety, um, fatigue, depressed mood. All of those actually are a result of the chemical imbalance that happened in the original concussion. Oh, wow. So now let's paint a scenario, right? Let's say there's a teen who somehow happens to get tricked into 
doing the skull breaker challenge multiple times. It's not just two friends coming to say hi, but they're coming to trick them into jumping and they're falling and they sustain multiple head injuries. So what is the effect that multiple concussions or multiple head injuries has on a person? So that's that's actually more dangerous um, because let's say they ha- they had one and then there was no time to heal. The swelling was still large. By the second time around, let's say there wasn't enough time between the first and the second blow to the head, then they may actually risk something called second impact syndrome. Uh, second impact syndrome just means that the swelling is so e- extreme in the brain and that it, the um, the fluid in the brain is kind of encapsulated now in the skull, and so there's nowhere to go for this fluid except pushing the brain and squeezing it down. Um, and it would actually cause, you know, it's fatal, can cause paralysis or death. Wow. Um, you know, and so we see some of this happen, rare instances, of course, in some p- uh, patients who participate in contact sports mm. who are not pulled from the game soon enough, and then they may sustain a second com- concussion within the same game, um, you know, uh, and then they don't have any time to recover. Now, let's say there was some time to recover and the swelling was not as profound in the first injury, then the subsequent, uh, let's say, skull, skull breaker challenge that they're involved in what will happen is they'll just fall to the ground. They may suffer long-term neurological sequelae, like, um, and it's very minimal things. So um, cognitive issues. So they may have problems with um, coping. They may have problems with regulating anxiety, um, regulating normalizing behavior. They may be a little bit disinhibited um, when in, before the hand they never had that issue. Um, you know, we hear the term thrown out ADHD-like, um, you know, where they didn't have that problem before. Mm-hmm. Um they may have problems with coordination. Um, you know, visually, they'll also have uh, issues where they're just not tolerating reading for a long time, and it may be misinterpreted as an ADHD when in reality it's just a visual, you know, a scanning problem. Um, you know, these are all these are all things that a person may may experience. And repetitive head injuries have been shown to actually. Um, over time, obviously, if you've, and, and we don't know exactly, there's no magic number. So for me and for you, everybody's different. Um, there's no magic number, for instance, in smoking and lung cancer, right? Yeah. You know, some people have it this, some people have it that, we don't know. But what we do know is that repetitive head injuries can cause some neurological damage long term. So say I was a teen participating in this, and I'm one of the people who tricks my friend into jumping and they fall on their back and they crack their skull, and now this person's unconscious. So I dial 911. Now, in the meantime, while I'm waiting for 911 and emergency response to come, is there something I should be doing to help this person who is just laying there? Or is the best medicine to kind of just step back and wait for the professionals to come in? Well, I would recommend stepping back to wait for professionals. But obviously, um, once the professionals come in, they will incorporate the airway breathing circulation. Okay. Making sure they're breathing right, making sure they're, you know, they have good pulses. Um, you know, those are the mo- most important things. But I wouldn't move the neck. Okay. I wouldn't move the head. You know, keep everything still. Um, that's the big, my best recommendation because uh, you don't know what the damage that was done um, you know, at that time. That's good. So, yeah. And now the teens who are participating, I would assume that their brains are still developing to some capacity. Uh, I mean, yes. what are your thoughts on that and how can this impair their development of the brain? what we do know is that the teenage years are actually a time of rapid neurological development. We know especially in the neuroendocrine system, um, it's the system really involved in hormonal regulation. And so it's not, the teens are not only building these connections and pathways, um, but uh, primitively speaking, uh, this is kind of when the teenage years is when integration into society and that kind of leaving that nurturing home of the parents and kind of looking outwards to society to see what the norms are. And so um, hormonal regulation is huge. They're 
bodies are going through a lot of different changes um, from a you know pu puberty standpoint, but also from a cognitive standpoint. And so they're identifying um, who they are. Uh, personality development is there too, um, you know. And so I mentioned also before a lot of societies haven't really um, they've integrated uh, you know uh, authority positions after the teenage years because we were aware in, as humanity that this is a time of rapid development. I remember so, talking about that off the record. Would yeah. you like to give some examples of how even like kings and queens, you said they were over a certain age, right? Right. So they had to be over a certain age, um, even in old times. I mean, we know for a fact that um, we recognize this as, as humans. We recognize this in terms of development because we knew from a cognitive standpoint, the frontal lobe actually doesn't really fully mature until about your mid-20s, um, you know, in, in males and females. Uh, and so we, we are aware of that. And so even uh, people who, who would take positions of authority um, as humanity, because we were aware of that, there would always be that person that is a backup um, that would transition that individual, uh, king or queen or whoever that authority figure is, uh, into their role when they reached of age um, simply because we were aware of that cognitive development and so in the Skullbreaker Challenge, it's happening amongst the teens, which are the most vulnerable um, in terms of their cognitive and hormonal function and their development. Um, we know, for instance, uh, that teens do require a lot more sleep than, for instance, adults, um, you know, and even in the late childhood years. Almost similar to the neurodevelopment that happens in the early years of zero, you know, ages zero to five. We know that they require a lot of sleep as well to develop. Same thing with teens. Uh, sometimes we don't give teens as much credit in terms of sleep like we do with a you know zero so they're to five not year just olds. lazy <laughs> so they're not just lazy you know they obviously they're they're they need it for a reason their bodies need it um and so to be able to to have these teens sustain these brain injuries is pretty sad um uh, you know because obviously there's there's no reason for them to constantly do this to themselves especially during such a delicate time in critical years yeah absolutely this is the question that perplexes me the most and it's not really a medical question but mm -hmm. something called the skull breaker challenge obviously has that connotation this is going to break my skull but right. why do you think teens are participating in this and even think this is something i want to jump on the bandwagon and do so um it's uh, gaining a lot of attention um you know it's i think that it's really more so attention seeking than anything else um you know we we live in an era where it's uh it, it everything is kind of video taped and everything is kind of seen and um, if you're not in the spotlight then you're not really attentive and this is really the need for that attention because uh, they are really looking into inwardly into themselves to develop their personality and their character um, which is still kind of in that developmental phase um, it hasn't really completed so it's it's really the hype and the popularity of it and then kind of what whoever jumps on the bandwagon and gets that attention you know really becomes like the star and the hero but in reality um, you know we don't think before we act and that's the thing about teens that we kind of label them as more like the disinhibited thing where they just kind of they're impulsive um, you know by nature but that's not nothing against them it's really just kind of how their frontal lobe is still in that developmental phase um, you know so teens again underdeveloped frontal lobe uh, you know we are we are aware of that um, and they're still forming that behavior and they're normalizing what's around them what's accepted by society and what's not and uh, you know they have to kind of feel like they have to fulfill that part of them that where they need that attention 
Yeah. So it's that's unfortunate. That's, that's rough. If you yeah. were sitting in front of a group of, say, 100 teens right now and you had mm-hmm. their undivided attention, which would be very far-fetched, right? But <laughs> let's just paint that picture. <laughs> right. What, for a few minutes. Right? <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. What tips or advice would you have for them before they engage in some kind of viral activity or challenge? So I would tell them, first off, um, you know, really harbor your energies for something a little bit more positive. The Skullbreaker Challenge, the hype of it uh, releases this dopamine surge, right? Dopamine is this chemical in the brain that gives us that feel-good feeling, you know, where we we've did did something, uh, you know, that was worthwhile, right? Um, so you we we know that dopamine is kind of released, um, even for instance, when a person is on social media. That's why social media is such an, ad- an addictive platform because we know that we will get a like, we will get um, a share, and it really releases that chemical of dopamine over and over again. And so it's it's an it's an addictive thing. And so when teens get all of this hype when they post this Skullbreaker Challenge video on their profile and then they get all this you know it it really fulfills all that dopamine response and so I tell teens I'll say you know what why don't you channel all of that energy into something good because guess what as human beings when we do good for others if we were to uh, use our talents which they teenagers have a lot of talents um, you know they're very talented teens out there if you were to use it to help somebody else without really expecting anything in return, surprisingly, you actually do get that same dopamine surge in the brain. And so what happens is um, if you do something good for other that you know will not be able to be returned to you, you actually um, get that feeling um, almost of self-satisfaction. Um, and so that in and of itself will will be addictive as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll be you'll almost want to do it again and again to get that same feeling. So I'll tell teens that I'll say, hey, you know what? Just channel your energies other uh, elsewhere. You 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 won't realize that you'll get that same satisfaction if you do this instead of that, and you'll get that same attention if you do this instead of that. Um, you know, and teens these days, you know, they they're they're willing to do that, and they, you know, if and they're good and they they want to do that. Yeah, and there's definitely know? teens out there who post that they're helping out at nursing homes Absolutely. or they're drawing amazing sketches yeah. of people and it's gaining yeah. lots of traction so i yeah. think there's definitely other ways to express yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. now i'm gonna take you away from your doctor self and bring mm-hmm. you into your parent self so okay. <laughs> how as a parent um do you kind of stay in the loop of what's going on in terms of what's going viral it's very important i mean obviously <laughs> Besides keeping trackers <laughs> um, on amazing. my kids, because I, I, yeah, I have three kids. Um, but uh, one thing that's also very important is kind of a being aware of who they're surrounded by. I mean, and this is a no-brainer. All parents know. Um, really uh, being in the moment, living in the moment with the, with a the teen. Um, you know, teens have this desire to really connect um, with human beings. And that's that desire is not fulfilled by an electronic device. Uh, it's really in, fulfilled by that human interaction. So I always tell parents, I say, just kind of always know wh- who their inner loop is uh, who their inner circle is what they're doing um tracking their online activity um it, allowing them to really kind of share this with you and then um if you kind of hear the teen out uh, a lot of times they will really be honest um and it's hard as a parent to not uh you know show that facial expression of like oh my goodness <laughs> you know what did you just tell me <laughs> or what just yeah. happened um you have so to embrace the transparency to, yeah yeah, yeah you, you kind of have to have like absolutely no you know the filter you have to really put that filter up with, you know, and I have a hard time even doing that sometimes as a parent, you know, with my own expression when I, my daughter comes and tells me, oh, yeah, she, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that. And, you know, I kind of have to force myself not to raise my eyebrows, <laughs> uh, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, of course, just as long as the parents are engaged um, and interactive with, with their teens, uh, you know, that's that's the biggest and the first step to take, really. Um, and it's a no brainer. 
it's really just kind of being involved with them uh, and participating, doing good for others together. Um, I think that bringing that back is a family function um, and those strong family dynamics will really allow that teen to see further out than the, just the immediate satisfaction from the attention they're going to get from the Skull Breaker Challenge. Mm. You know, I think that is a big, big thing and that will re they'll reach a level of maturity where they'll say, oh yeah, you know what, I see why this is a problem. Um, and then also seeing is, is believing when they hear of the detrimental things that can happen to them neurologically and when they see it firsthand among their friends among a friend's friend then they'll say you know what maybe this is not the best idea yeah um, and teens actually overthink a lot of things too so if you just kind of educate them on what's going on hey this is a problem you know they'll probably think twice i think a lot of people don't realize the importance of the brain until something happens to them or a loved one so how can you kind of stress the importance of the brain to somebody who's listening to this? So um, from a doctor's standpoint, I would say we have one brain, we're given one. Um, we really have to take care of it until the end um, because our brain is really, we can't transplant it. It's really the only one that we're given. But unlike other organs, um, one thing that's important about the brain function um, is in terms of nerve recovery, once a nerve dies out, it doesn't regenerate um, or recover the same way. And so it reroutes that's what the brain tends to do in case of, of brain injury for instance it just forms different pathways mm. um, in the case of uh, you know a one one nerve injury elsewhere it'll just sprout and reroute um, and this is what the more pathways that you're built that's built in inside the brain through um, education through experience all of that um, the better your rerouting and recovery takes place. Um, but there's only so many detours in the brain that can be taken um, with impact after impact after impact before the brain starts to not function. So it's very important from that standpoint. Um, different from a bone, for instance, that's, uh, you know, you get a fra stretch fracture or anything like that during, um, you know, an injury in sports. And it recovers, usually casted for about one or two, three months maybe. Again, it'll recover over time with some good therapy, and it'll, it's almost like kind of brand new. That doesn't necessarily happen so much um, with injury over after injury after injury. So very important. Also, from a you know a human standpoint, I mean, we live in an era where brain function, cognitive uh, you know cognitive uh, function overall is really deemed important. Mm -hmm. It's not just your manual strength. We're not kind of in that labor in industry now. We're in that cognitive industry where we plan and think and have ideas and plan some more um, and that's really what uh, allows us to be successful throughout is really just kind of come up with that and that's all creativity of the brain um, so that's why it's very important and we stress it over and over again because we need that brain function to function in this society um, so it's it's yeah it's one of those things I kind of you know protect it as much as you can yeah <laughs> it does get better the more you work it out <laughs> yeah yeah and it's, it's funny, too, because I'm sitting here looking at this viral challenge, the Skullbreaker Challenge, as an adult, and I'm saying, I'm thinking to myself, how silly is that? But then I remember I once was a teen, and I, though though I didn't partake in something called the Skullbreaker Challenge, I'm sure there's things I can't re recall now that I did that are probably questionable to adults at that time. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I appreciate you taking the time to really break this down in, in a manner that I think is fun to listen to and also makes sense for teens who might subscribe to this. So thank you so much for joining me, and oh, I, I really appreciate it. And this is something that I think a lot of people and parents, too, need to really be aware of. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, submit your ideas on hmh4u.org backslash podcast. Your suggestion could be included in the You Asked For It special episodes. 
That's all for today. Until next Wednesday, thanks for listening. All participants on the Health You podcast have willingly and openly shared their stories. They have not been paid or incentivized for sharing. The views expressed by our guests solely belong to them and are not necessarily aligned with Hackensack Meridian Health.